I want to start with a multiple choice test this morning. Uh, I'm going to read, uh, who, who was it that made this statement? Was it George W. Bush? Was it John McCain? Abraham Lincoln? Thomas, who was it? Barack Obama? Who was it that made this statement? Think about it. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have, been preserved, we have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, power, as no other nation has ever known. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us and have vainly imagined in this deceitfulness of heart, hearts that all these blessings are produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbrokenness and unbroken success, we have become self-sufficient and feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God who made us, it behooves us to humble ourselves before the offended power to confess our national sins to pray for forgiveness. Who was it that said this? Who? Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. You know, when I think about that statement and that quote, that could have easily been stated by George W. Bush. When I think about that statement and, and the real weight in that statement, the idea that, uh, that a person who's elected to office would say such a bold statement, sometimes I wonder that if that's really politically correct. And I got to thinking about political correctness, of which our nation is so good at right now. And I think about what it means to be a statesman. And I think that statement is made by a statesman, not a politician. Do you understand the difference between a statesman and a politician? A politician will say whatever it takes to get elected. He'll waffle, he'll waver, she'll waffle, she'll waver. Whatever it takes, politicians are very good at that. A statesman will say what needs to be said. William Wilberforce was a statesman. It might cost him political gain. It might cost him votes. It might cost them, you know, popularity. It might even run them out of their family. Whatever it may be. But they just know this is right. This is the right way to go. This is the right thing. That's a statesman. That's not a politician. And I'm afraid that we are living in a nation of politicians and not statesmen. Just think about it. How many people do you see conviction, passion inside of their bones, standing up, willing to call a spade a spade, willing to say this is right and this is wrong, no matter the political gain or loss? And I have heard people that I have thought were statesmen who will say, you know what, you've got to give a little to get a little. If you're going to go along, you've got to learn to get in with your party. And I don't care where they are, you know, in, in this area. If you're going to get their votes on this thing over here, then you've got, to get, you've got to give in on some of your standards. You know what? That's just politics. That may be just politics. But what we need, we need statesmen. We need people who will stand up and, for values and not waver. When I think about the statement, the two statements that actually step out, stand out the loudest and clearest to me underscore them in that quote by Abraham Lincoln. We have been recipients of the choicest bounties. Choicest bounties. 
We are living in the wealthiest or has been the wealthiest nation in the world. We are living at the highest standard of living. We have the choicest of bounties. We are living in prosperity. We have been living in peace for many, many years. But then the other statement that that cuts to the quick, cuts to the soul, is whenever he says, but we have forgotten God. There's a great danger in that. The great danger in us, in all of our success, in all of our bounty, that we might leave God out of the equation. We live in what sociologists are calling a post-Christian generation, where at one point Christianity was at center in values and education and, 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 and politics and, and whatever. Christianity was the mainstream of the stream. It was in the middle of the stream. The problem is now we're living in, as I've said, a post-modernity or post-modern or a post-Christian day when no longer is the mainstream Christianity. I would say that Christianity is not even in the stream any longer. We're on the bank somewhere, washed up, dead and irrelevant when you look at us from a global perspective, especially when you look at it from an American perspective. It's a dangerous day that we might live in. And I'm not a doomsday person. I think if you've been here any length of time, I'm not going to stand up and rant and rave on something. But I think we might be living at the precipice of something that may be very dangerous for our nation. And the problem is maybe right in our own hearts, as Tim emphasized. Be finding in your Bibles the book of Jeremiah. I want to take us back to 600 B.C. today. I want to take you back to a nation that was, by all means, God's nation. And God had favor with the nation of Israel. And I know that that may surprise you, and we sing songs like, God bless America, and we have in God we trust on our currency, and throughout the fabric of our, of our country, and its deepest roots is Christian faith. But yet we might think that, oh, because we've done that, we are the choicest of nations. And and the reality is Israel has been God's chosen nation that He's given more favor to. And in Jeremiah chapter 2 is where we'll be today. It's in that Old Testament prophetic section. Pass Psalms to your right, but turn left if you get to the New Testament. And find the book of Jeremiah. As you're turning there, you'll you'll find Jeremiah chapter 2. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 3, in the message, this is what it says, Israel was God's holy choice the pick of the crop. I mean, when God looked over His creation and He said, okay, now out of all of my creation, out of all the people groups, out of all the nations out there, who am I going to bless with my child? I'm going to bless Israel. And every nation that blesses Israel, they will be blessed. And every nation that curses Israel, they'll be cursed. You can read about that in Jeremiah, in, excuse me, in Genesis. How God says this will be a great nation. Genesis chapter 12. Read that in your own time. But that is the choices of nation. It doesn't, it doesn't, God doesn't necessarily prefer Brazil, Zambia, Uzbekistan, China, or America anymore. But the thing is, the thing is, we've got to realize that even if you're God's choicest nation and you get off course, He will hold us accountable. He will hold us accountable for the life that we live or the life that we don't live. It's a very dangerous place to be. Because in Jeremiah 2, verse 32, it says, My people have forgotten me days without number. 
God was speaking when he said that. Now go back again, think it back to, uh, to Abraham Lincoln's quote when he says that, my, that, that, God, that we have forgotten God and yet Jeremiah himself is saying the very same thing about the nation of Israel, God's choicest people, that God picked them from the crop and he said, you're the nation I'm going to bless, but you've forgotten me. Have we forgotten God? That's really the burning question. 600 B.C., a nation that was picked by God, blessed by God, chosen by God, yet they can forget God? Yet we can be a nation with the choicest of bounties, as Lincoln said, and yet at the same time we can forget God? It's very possible. It's not only possible, it's very probable. Because Satan wants to negate and destroy our memories of what God wants to do in us and has done in us. Jeremiah chapter uh, 2 is where we'll be. And I want to read. We're going to actually, if you read all of chapter 2 in your own time, you would get the entire message that God gave Jeremiah to give to the people of Israel. Okay? So, kind of like Jeremiah is the preacher to the people, he's like the deliverer of the message. He's the one who's saying, okay, God's saying this to us, and it's pretty harsh words. But I just want to, we're going to jump and skip all the way through this chapter today. So look at verse 11 with me. He says, Has a nation changed God when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Here's the second thing they did. They, you for themselves, cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And we'll break that down in just a few moments. But I want us to think about our own nation and our own life. I heard a, a story of a, of a child going to a grandmother's house one day, and the grandmother was taking the, the grandchildren through the house and they came upon a vase. And the grandmother picked this vase up. It was in a very secure place out of the reach of the grandchildren. And, uh, but she pulled it down off of the shelf, pulled the little ladder up, climbed up, pulled it down, and held the vase in their hands and, and just told the children the story behind the vase and how that vase was her grand, great-great-grandparents' vase. So it was multiple generations removed from these grandchildren that she had. And she told the story. And then she stuck the vase back up on the shelf. And it was a day or so later that the, uh, the granddaughter came in and said to the grandmother, she said, you know that, that vase that was passed down from generation to generation? She said, yes. He says, well, this generation dropped it. You know, I'm afraid we have been handed down something for 230 years as a nation. It's values, and it's morals, and it's ethics. And we're handing it down from generation to generation. I don't want to be the generation that drops the vase, that drops the values, that drops the morals. We're heading into an election year 
And there's a whole lot of questions rolling around in my mind. Who should be the president? Who was? You know, who should be the congressman? All that. You know, there's going to be a lot of questions that we're going to be wrestling with over the next few months and weeks. I want us to think about this. Let July 4th mark the beginning of a serious prayer journey for you to through November and then beyond that we will come together as people and as God's people and we will make sure <laughs> we haven't forgotten God. Make sure that we haven't done what the people that Jeremiah is dealing with, that we don't forget God in the midst of it all. The way we're going to prevent that is to make sure we make three solid moves, that we don't drop the vase as a nation, that we don't break it right here in this generation, never to be passed on to the next. I want you to see these. And again, we're going to jump throughout chapter 2, so just hang on. Keep your Bibles open if you got them today. And we're going to look at three moves that we can make that uh, if we're going to break a nation, if we're not careful. Number one move is that God's law is preceded by man's opinion. When God's law is preceded by man's opinion, preceded by man's opinion, then then we're in trouble. But we do live in a nation where there's a lot of moral relativism, subjective beliefs, and and ideas that are of our own, and we kind of want to have our own faith and our own beliefs and our own morals. The problem is that is that God didn't give us that right. Okay, He gave us morals. He gave us standards. But whenever we say, okay, I want to set my own standards, I want to live by my own standards, then that's wrong. I want to do what feels good. I want to do what I want to be open. I want to be tolerant. And I understand the value of tolerance. And we do need to be more tolerant than, than we are in, in ways, but it's understanding proper tolerance. When God speaks, we listen. He's better than E.F. Hutton, if you remember those old commercials. All right? We just listen and we just obey. Because when He is saying don't do something, He's saying don't burn yourself. Don't break the vase. Don't hurt your next generation. Don't hurt your marriage. Don't hurt your relationship. He's not trying to rob us of joy and and peace in life. He's saying just don't hurt yourself. When He says do something, He's saying go bless yourself. Be blessed. So it's being able to listen and discern what he's saying. Now, once we get past that, then we have freedom. Listen, we don't all have to dress the same, like the same kind of music, look the same, pierce the same parts of the body, or anything like that. You pierce whatever you want to pierce. The point that I'm talking about here is morals and ethics. Whenever we're going to set what the decisions we're going to make in life, is it going to be based on our opinion, or is it going to be based on God's truth? Interesting fact came across my desk one time a few years back. A Gallup poll survey out of the USA Today said 40% of those who attend weekly worship services support gay and lesbian relationships. Now, I'm meddling now, I know, but that's just one example. So where it's morals of lesbianism or homosexuality is really not the issue for me. I talk about the morals of a heterosexual couple. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about sleeping together before you're married. Let's talk about setting our standards high. You know what happens, though? The church many times has this homophobia kind of thing. Is they, want, they want to preach against the homosexuals, but at the same time, they'll sleep outside of marriage with somebody else. That's just hypocrisy. That's all that is. There's not one sin greater than the other. The issue is, are we going to live by God's principles, God's laws, or are we going to live by our own opinion? we have to really ask ourselves that question because it begins to break down at that point. 
Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says, For a lack of guidance, a nation fails. Did you, did you catch that? Is it on the screen? Can you guys pop it up there? Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Maybe it won't be there. Maybe it will be. The lack of guidance, a nation fails. You've you got to get that one down. If we don't have some kind of standard, some kind of barometer, some kind of compass in our life, then we are going to be in trouble. Woodrow Wilson said it like... Or look at verse 32. Go down to verse 32. In chapter 2. He says, Can a, can a virgin forget her ornaments? Or bride her attire, yet my people have forgotten me. Now, now what, a, what a big statement there. What are you saying? Have you ever seen a, a bride go to a wedding and say, you know what, I knew I forgot something. I forgot my dress. This is a home. You'll never see that. I mean, she'll be putting that wedding dress on before she ever gets married. And then when she's trying to remember the good days of the marriage, she may go put it back on again. You know, and then her daughter's dreaming about putting on... I mean, you don't, you don't, that's absurd to think for a moment that a bride would ever go to the church without her wedding dress. It's absurd. You might forget, you know, your veil. You might forget your, your flowers. You might forget a whole lot of other things. You might forget your suitcase for, for the honeymoon, but you will not forget your wedding dress. God brings out a point here. He says, just like a bride forgetting her wedding dress. So you've forgotten me. How can you forget me? How can I not be front, center, first place in your life? I, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't put it together that way. Woodrow Wilson said in 1911, he said America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelation of the Holy Scriptures. You'd never see a president, a politician say that in 2008. It's too narrow-minded. Listen, we've got to come back to the principles that made this nation great. We've got to come back to what God will bless. Communist government, Russia, attacked a lot of the Russian heritage uh, whenever it came in in its revolution. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn, if you haven't read his story or know his story, it's really worth studying. But he has told of the history and went back and studied uh, the history of his nation and the fall of, uh, of communism after tens of millions of people, excuse me, the, the, the rise of communism, after tens of millions of deaths and all that went on, this is what he said. He said, over half a century ago, while I was still a child, I recall hearing a number of older people offer the following explanation for the great disasters that had befallen Russia. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Did you see that? That's what, that's what Solzhenitsyn came out of realizing what caused their nation to fall to communism and atheistic belief. It was because the nation had forgotten God. Since then I have spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of our revolution. In the process I have read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of of, of personal testimonies and have already contributed eight volumes of my own toward the effort of clearing away the rubble left by the upheaval. But if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause for the ruinous revolution that swallowed up 60 million of our people, I could, I could not put it in more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God. 
That's why all this has happened. That's one historian looking at one nation that forgot God in our day and age. Saying what caused communists to come on our country was because our nation forgot God. What a tragedy when God's laws, principles become less than just another opinion. Just another option for us to follow. Verse 31 says, O generation, heed the word of the Lord. Heed the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness, have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of thick darkness? Why do my people say we are free to roam? Basically, the people could say, you just choose your own path. Whatever's good for you is good for you. Whatever's good for me is good for me. You just choose your own path. But you know what we need? We need people. We need statesmen. We can't, listen, I'm not advocating that we need to force feed Christianity on people because that just makes people, you know, just because you took, I don't know if you ever took kaopectate when you were growing up. I did. My mother would give it to me. I still don't like kaopectate even though it did good for me. You know, just feeding kaopectate to somebody is not going to make them like it. Feeding somebody Christianity, force-feeding them is not going to make them like it. But we as a nation, as believers, have got to realize the value of God's truth over our simple opinions. And we've got to elevate it to the level that we're going to live at that level. And then that will make it attractive to others. We've got to vote our way. We've got to believe our way. We've got to live our way, uh, God's way, according to that. And not just say, hey, you can roam wherever you want to roam. Here's the second move we need to make. If we're going to cause our nation to, to fall and stumbles, we choose persona over character. When the persona of, of who we are and is more important than the character of really who we are down deep, then we, we've got issues that we've got to deal with. Verse 22 says, Although you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your iniquity is before me, declares the Lord God. There's a persona about our, 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 our lives that we think if I just look the part on Sunday, I can do whatever in the world I want to do on Monday. Or it really doesn't matter what I do on Friday as long as I'm out in church on Sunday. That's a persona. Persona is not the same thing as character. I actually did a th- I looked at a thesaurus this past week to try to work on the wording and formulating this and And when I came to the word persona, I was looking it up as alternative words, and the word character came up. And I think it is absolutely not the same thing. You can't take persona and insert the word character and get the same thing. Persona is a very shallow appearance of something where character goes to the very core of who you are. Persona is about the value of buying a cheap suit in some secondary department store in a barrel that says 75% off versus wearing an Armani. You know, one's totally different. You wearing a cheap suit or you wearing an Armani? You know, the, the, it, it's, it's one versus the other. Are you, are you just washing the outside with lye, as he says there, with just soap? But really, you're stained on the inside. And you, you've all seen the stains, the Tide commercials and everything else. You know what a stain looks like. You can run it through the washer and run it through the washer and run it through the washer, and it can be clean enough to wear, but you've still got stains. 
And when all we're going to worry about is our persona and what we kind of look on the outside and on the shelf, then we're really missing it. We need to ask, who are we at the core? Who am I at my integrity level? Integrity is defined as what you are when nobody's looking. Who are you when you're on the computer when nobody's looking? Who are you when you're cutting a business deal? When really nobody at church or nobody in your body life group is watching you? Who are you really? Who are you really in when you deal with your children? That next generation? Who are you really when you're teaching them to maybe cheat a little bit, to get by with a little bit so it can help yourself a little bit more? See, when persona becomes more important than character, then we're a nation that's about to fail. We're a nation that's about to be under judgment. You realize that in in America, and I pulled this out of the Trivial Pursuit Family Edition, that there are 61,742 cities, towns in America that have a Christian or biblical basis. And I got to thinking about that. You know, you can slap a Christian name on top of anything, but it doesn't make it Christian. My question is, that's the persona of that town, but what's the real character down deep inside that town? Philip Yancey said it like this. A state government can shut down stores and theaters on Sunday, but it cannot compel worship. It can arrest and punish KKK members, but it cannot cure their hatred must less teach them to love. It can pass laws making divorce more difficult, but cannot force a husband to love their wives and the wives their husbands. It can give subsidies to the poor, but it cannot force the rich to show them compassion and justice. It can ban adultery, but not lust. Theft, not covetousness. Cheating, not pride. It can encourage virtue, but not holiness. See, just having a bunch of religious laws isn't going to do it. It's whenever we allow our faith to be actually penetrated to the core of who we are, we go past the persona to the core of who we are. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people, Proverbs 14.34 says. Righteousness is not persona-level living. Righteousness is core level living. It's character. When my attitudes and my thoughts and my actions and and my perspectives and my values and my voting and, and how I live out all of my life is really penetrated with God's truth, then righteousness is taking seed. Righteousness starts from the inside and works its way out. Persona works on the outside and just wants to stop there. Alexander Hamilton, the face on the $10 bill, says it like this, without religion, morality falters. When morality falters, Pandora's box of corruption, crime, set in, followed by the demise of the nation. John Adams, the second president, said, the general principles upon which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. His wife, Abigail, said it like this, can we be a patriot who by open immoral conduct undermines the very bonds of society. The Scriptures, the book that I'm holding in my hand and you're having in your lap, tell us righteousness exalts people. We have to ask ourselves the question, is Christ really affecting my character? 
Say, I'm not a politician, Mike. I'm not a statesman. I never claimed to be. That's fine. Just tell me how it's affecting your character in business. How it's affecting your character and the way you, again, treat your family. Again, the way you interact with your neighbors. You know, is it a, is it a persona? Is that all we're looking for? There's a lot of people that just work on their persona. But what about your character? A nation that crumbles is a nation that just says your opinion is the only thing that matters and they ignore God's law. A nation that, that, that falters and stumbles is a nation that focuses on their persona rather than their character. Thirdly, a nation that's going to falter and stumble is a nation that when we play God instead of surrender to God. When we play God instead of surrendering to God, then we are a nation on the way down. Verse 11, go back there. We read it in the very beginning. Has a nation changed gods? When they were not gods, basically he's saying, hey, are people exchanging me out? Are they getting a new, a new god in place of me? When they were not gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. And then he goes on and he says in verse, uh, skip down to verse 13. He says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, a fountain of living water. Now you might underscore that if you have your Bibles. Because that just goes right back to everything that we just got through saying in God being a living water inside of us, getting wet series, interesting. Here it is already back in the Old Testament. The fountain of living water, which means basically He is an artesian well. He is in us. He is filling us up. He is overflowing out of us. He says, they have traded an artesian well. For what? What do they trade them for? They have hewn for themselves cisterns or broken cisterns that can hold no water. What they did is they kind of got, they said, you know what? I'm kind of, I'll just play with God and, But I want to be God. You know, they've taken the artesian well and put it aside. And they've said, listen, we're going to take some limestone rock, which doesn't hold water, and we're going to dig out and we're going to make our own cisterns. But guess what? They leak. You have to keep putting water in them and it leaks. Keep putting water in them and it leaks. What they did is they changed out and they traded out a God who would provide for them. Instead, they just played with God. Instead, they, they try to be their own God. George Washington prayed this prayer, Let me live according to thy holy rules, which thou hast prescribed in thy holy word. Direct me. Do you hear the tone of his voice here? Let me live. Direct me. Prescribe. There was no like, Okay, God, you're going to get to lead me a little bit, but I'm just going to... Not, I'm going to call my own shots the rest of the time. This was an absolute surrender. He is absolutely praying. I am following you, Jesus. I am living according to your word, Jesus. I am listening to you. I'm not God. I may be the president of this new country, but I'm not God. Listen, you can be the president of your own company and of your own country. The best thing you could do is pray a prayer like this. Let me live according to thy holy rules, which thou hast prescribed in Thy holy word, direct me in the true object of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Bless, O Lord, all the people of this land. This is a person who is praying to Jesus Christ, though he may be the president, he is putting himself under him, under Jesus. 
Are we going to play with God or are we going to let God be God? Or Earl Warren, 1954, Chief Justice, said it like this in a speech. He says, I believe no one can read the history of our country without realizing that the good book and the spirit of the Savior has been becoming of a guiding genesis. From its, from its very beginning, the, the book of, this book right here has been guiding a country, a Christian land governed by Christian principles. I don't know that it's that way anymore. I think we may have dropped the vase along the way. If you go on looking for a vacation, I understand there's a lot of staycations going on right now where you just stay locally, but if you're looking for a good vacation, I would recommend going to Washington, D.C. Once you get there and once you eat and once you take care of your, your housing, then, uh, then it's pretty much free after that. There's all these museums. It's a beautiful place. Go see the Capitol building. See some awesome history of our nation. I did it one time, and we had a tour through the Capitol building. And it was David Burton who took us into the rotunda of the Capitol, and he pointed up, and we spent probably two or three hours just in the rotunda of the Capitol. He pointed out the pictures and told the history of all the pictures, Pocahontas baptism, different pictures that surround the, the rotunda of the Capitol. It's where presidents, when they die, they lie in state there. It's a, it's, a, it's a very much a center focus of America is the Capitol building. Well, in the, in the rotunda of the Capitol, it's very interesting. If you look up at the, in the, in the high, tallest spire of the Capitol, this, I mean, this building has inspired many state capitals. It's kind of the symbol of American government, the symbol of American decision-making. The symbol is right there. But in the rotunda, in the very highest part of the Capitol, building, it, may, it says these words, one God, one law, one element, one far-off divine event in which the whole creation moves. One God, one law, one element, one far-off divine event in which we all are moving. You know, was that a statement of tolerance? Was that a statement of inclusion? Was that a statement of, of, uh, of anything other than, listen, Jesus Christ, just as George Washington prayed, is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to God. You know what? We as a nation, we as a people, we as people right here of Bentonville, Arkansas, and Northwest Arkansas, we've got to realize it's not our opinions or God's law. It's God's law. God's truth. It's not whether or not my persona looks the right and, I, and, I'm, and I'm a politician polished up. Am I a statement to the very core and the character of who I am? I pulsate my faith. And, and am I just going to play with God or am I going to let Him be God? Questions that we have to ask of ourselves. I want to close with one more quote. I love the history of our nation when John Adams, who fought so long to, uh, and so hard to hand the vision of one nation under God, he was overwhelmed in, on July 3rd in 1776 when he made these statements. Notice July 3rd, Independence Day, right where we're at right now. He sent these words out by the first writer leaving from Massachusetts and dispatched it almost as a prophetic letter. And this is what it said. It said, Ought 
to be this day ought to be commemorated as a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illumination. Sounds like the 4th of July, right? Games, sports, shows, parades, bells, bonfires, illuminations from one end of the continent to the other, from this time forward and forever. But don't forget the statement, this day should be a solemn, an act of solemn devotion to God Almighty. I have a question for you. When you set off those fireworks on the 4th, was that a worship service for you? It wasn't for me. When you think about this statement right here, is it was designed to be a day that brings us back, back to the reality of what this country was started on. Listen, I'm not trying to force feed any Christianity on anybody. I just want to make sure that I'm working on my character. I'm allowing God's truth to be the rule and law of my life, not my opinions, not my persona, and that I'm letting God be God in my life. And you know what I want us to pray for? I want to pray for the next elected officials. I want to pray for those that are currently in office, that they will focus more on their character, more on God's truth, that they would focus more on letting God be God in their life and not just playing God. Our invitation today is this. I want us to pray. We're called to pray for our nation. And our, and our response today is this, is that we might pray for those who are in leadership and that we might pray for ourselves, that we would be the godly people that we should. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to kneel right here. This entire front will be free for anybody who wants to come and pray. You can come and kneel and pray. You can pray out loud in yourself. You pray in your own heart. That's fine. You come right now. And let's pray.